0: Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here, and we've got another edition of Business The Law new and, uh, and, an, and an interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip, and uh, as uh, Christine is not with us today. As we said last week, she's off over the the, uh, United States at a very interesting conference, which she's going to talk about for us next week. So we're going to look at uh, some business tips from Santa. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Catherine Blackmore from Hunter Recruitment Group about the importance of communication in recruitment. Good afternoon, Catherine.
1: Hi, Julian. How are
0: you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for jumping in for your boss, who is off at... Star Wars. He is. He
1: is indeed. He's picked a good day to be at the movies. I think the air conditioning will be cranking there.
0: It will be nice, won't it? So, so, So how has the methods of communication with recruitment evolved over the years?
1: Yeah, it certainly has, Julian. I've been in recruitment for around 20 years, and from when I first started out, everything was done through the Newcastle Herald. Ad, ads were placed in print in newspapers. People had to print out their uh, resumes and send those in the mail. So things have moved much quicker than that these days, so everything is generally done online. In fact, you can't really even advertise positions vacant in, in newspapers. Um, so everything's email, everything's electronic, there's a lot of automation.
0: Do, does this affect people who are not computer savvy or is it hoping that everybody is computer savvy?
1: Yes, I certainly think there's an expectation that everyone has some kind of general access to computers and some general knowledge in that space. Uh, so, yeah, if you are someone that's really not um, not okay with computers, it can be a little bit difficult job seeking. There are other um, ways you'd have to go about that.
0: So in, in business, we often talk about uh, establishing a personal brand. That's also important in uh, in recruitment, isn't it?
1: For sure, definitely. I mean, if you're trying to uh, attract a new role and, and trying to land yourself a new position, you need to be conscious that uh, employers are, are possibly looking at all different avenues of your personal brand, so they will inspect your Facebook page, they will look at you on LinkedIn, um, Anything, any comments you might have made on a Facebook page that could be disparaging of, of certain companies, they can all be looked at, they can simply be Googled by just Googling your name, you will come up in those sorts of searches, so you really need to be conscious that the things that you're putting out online are things that you would be happy for your grandmother to see you'd be happy for a prospective employer to see Um, so yeah being really conscious of that as well as obviously your own individual interaction your personal presentation all those sorts of things go into building that personal brand
0: and of course these days uh, particularly very young people are on their phones all the time so and this time of year uh, we are at parties and things like that it's very dangerous (laughs) that uh, we can put some of that stuff up on our Facebook and it's going to scar us for life
1: It sure can. Yeah, people want to know what sort of things you think are okay to share in essentially a public forum and that can extend to what you think is a private Facebook page but unfortunately things that go on the internet despite privacy settings and security and the like are still accessible by a lot of people so it it really is something to be mindful for and the younger generations it's just Something they've grown up with, they aren't as conscious of as I, I guess that um, you know these things can affect you long into the future. So definitely something to be aware of.
0: When LinkedIn was first set up, it was set up as a recruitment type, um, I suppose, uh, media, uh, which has mm. tends to have become a little bit more of a, a business type Facebook now. But uh, do sure you is. find do you find people set up their own profiles on there purely for looking for work?
1: Yes, definitely. It certainly is an area of um, interest for people that are looking for work and for employers. We generally find LinkedIn is a source of passive candidates, so those people that aren't necessarily actively looking for work, but when they're approached with something that might sort of appeal to them they are uh, interested in discussing it so they're not necessarily looking on SEEK and and other um, career sites but when you make a direct approach they're happy to have a conversation with you and that that is a source of candidates you otherwise probably wouldn't tap into so it's certainly great from that networking perspective definitely.
0: So so if I come across a role that I'm interested in how best can I uh, convey that I want to apply for that?
1: Um, We always say that people need to include a cover letter and there's always um, different opinions on that. But in my case, I might look at three, four, five hundred resumes in one week. Mm. Uh, So those people that take a little bit of time to just address any questions I might have uh, that go along with that application, so if it's a part-time role, if they can just address in their cover letter, yes, I really want part-time because I'm studying or whatever the reasoning might be, just address those questions cover letters should really answer the why and resumes should give me the what. So um, also being proactive and calling about opportunities, that's really rare these days. So um, most people just rely on electronic communication for the most part, but those candidates that actually give us a call and have a bit of a chat about the role, express their interest verbally and then follow up with an application, generally stand out in our mind a little bit more. Um, Even those ones that come in, our our own uh, Olivia, who's our young recruitment support, Mm. she was one of um, probably 150 applicants, and she's the only one that actually turned up to our office and presented in person to express her interest in the role. So obviously we didn't want all 150 people (laughs) doing that, but it really did set her apart. So Mm. doing those things that can set you apart from the competition, particularly in highly contested roles, Uh, I recommend it, definitely.
0: And, and of course, you can, uh, in your cover letter, you pull out the bits of your resume that are applicable to points in the uh, advertisement.
1: That's exactly right. You can really uh, set yourself apart. You can promote yourself well. You can, um, you know, even cultural things that seem Mm. to align with the values of that company. You may have some similar values. You might have done some volunteer work or had some experiences in life that can really relate Um, to people within that company so certainly doing your research and making sure that you're putting your best foot forward and not simply just flicking off a resume which is so very easy to do electronically now Um, you need to really be conscious that you are putting as much effort into it as you always would have um, in terms of you know making yourself represented in the best possible light
0: and of course when you say cover letter you really mean an attachment to your email
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be an attachment. It can just be part of in the body of the email, but just something that gives Mm. a a little bit of background that maybe saves a phone call clarifying something, um, that that can really be helpful. So
0: so what are some of the critical touch points throughout a recruitment process?
1: Yeah, sure. You often hear people say that they apply for roles and they never hear anything back. Mm. Um, And I would say that that's pretty rare these days because... At least 90% of employers, even private employers that are using um, advertising online, will have an automated response. So everyone should get a response that that should give them some indication of, you know, that their resume's been received, hopefully some timeframes that the company's working with. Um, So making sure that you check those. Uh, Quite often we get people not answering phone calls at the moment because they don't know the number. So they screen calls and Mm -hmm. don't answer it. So answering calls, when you know you're job seeking, you know you've been applying for work, be ready to answer your phone rather than us having to chase three, four, five times. Mm. Um, Quite often we find if we we call and don't get a message bank, no one calls back, but if we send a text, they'll then call back and say, oh, yeah, okay, Okay. I am looking for work, so they know who that is. So making sure that you're onto that sort of thing. Um, We do get people that just don't show up for interviews as Mm. well, and that can follow you. We keep a Mm. database, we keep a record of that sort of thing, and as would any recruitment company. So in five years' time, things might have changed in your circumstances, and you want to go looking for work again, that recruiter may have that still recorded on their database and they may, you know, if they Black have another three good candidates, that, yeah, that might be enough for them to just say, hey, I'm not going to bother with you because you weren't polite enough to cancel last time. So even just sending a text or an email just to say that you won't be there
0: shows mm. that you
1: value other people's time. So, um, yeah.
0: And of course, when you answer the phone, you want to assume that everybody is going to be offering you a job, so you better answer the phone the right way
1: that 's right, and participate in in phone interviews and things like that as if it is an interview because it, it really is a precursor to, mm. to getting face to face with someone, so they don 't just call just for a chat, they want to know a little bit about you, so definitely being polite, making sure you 're focused and, and your attention can be on that that actual call and if it can 't be, then just politely asking if you can call back at a different time rather than you know ordering your lunch while you 're talking mm-hmm. to someone about a role, um, We get all sorts of different scenarios so yeah, just always being conscious that the other person's time is important too and and trying to make sure that you can have a really good conversation with them.
0: Great. Well, thanks very much for your time and for filling in for Craig. And yeah, we'll, you're we'll welcome. have a chat with you again another time.
1: Sounds good. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Julian. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Catherine Blackmore there from the Hunter Recruitment Group. The importance of communication in rec- well, <laughs> everywhere, isn't it, these days, but not just recruitment. But yes, certainly the recruitment process is changing. We would normally, of course, go and have a chat with Christina, but she's over in the United States at a very interesting conference, which we'll hear about next week. But I was lucky enough to uh, have a chat with Santa this week, and I was asking him things about uh, what makes a business successful, what made his business into such a ginormous business as it is. And he gave me 15 little things that we can think about in our businesses. First of all was to deliver on time. Would we still love Santa if he missed a year or came late occasionally? He has great systems in place to ensure that everything runs like clockwork. Secondly, everyone loves a giver. Don't be a taker. You can win prospects over with your generosity. Thirdly, it's important to plan ahead. As we know, Santa makes a list and checks it twice. How well do you list what you need to be doing? Fourthly, hire a great team. Santa gets the glory, but the elves do all the hard work. They work like Trojans to make it all happen. Where are your elves, and what are they doing? Fifth, teach your clients how to treat you. Every kid knows how to leave out milk and cookies and carrots for the reindeer. Do your clients know how to help you help them? The next one is to qualify hard. Do you grade your prospects and clients? Santa knows if you've been naughty or nice, which of your clients have been nice and which of your prospects fall into the naughty corner. Do you know that? The seventh point is to leverage well. Santa has a team of doubles who work the crowds at every shopping centre on the planet for at least four weeks. Sorry, you really didn't think it was himself visiting, did you? How well do you leverage and use your team? Fifth, sorry, eighth, have great leadership. Running a great team like he has requires good leadership. How good is yours? And we'll probably get some tips from um, Christina next week on leadership. Number nine, he knows his numbers. He needs to budget very carefully and plan well ahead. Do you budget? Do you have a cash flow budget that you work to every every month so that you know whether you're on track or off track? And the 10th point is to limit access. Santa has things so set that you can't randomly get get to him on your mobile whenever you want to. But he has a system whereby you can access him through his helpers and letters to the North Pole, the post office box or emails. You need to control your time and make sure you have systems in place to get back to your clients. Don't answer every phone call every minute if it puts you off getting your time management working properly. The number 11 is to run special events. He's the original product launch guy, building massive anticipation, getting us to count down the sleeps till that big day. Do we build anticipation for such events for our clients? The twelfth point is quite a self-explanatory one, costumes and self-promotion. If he just wore his regular gear, he'd be no big deal. What is your uniform that sets you apart from the masses? And obviously we include just not, not just the, uh, the uniform, but all of the uh, logos and, and uh, branding that goes with that. The thirteenth point is repeat business. Santa doesn't forget the importance of repeat business and making sure that every client's experience is a positive one. Wowing them wherever possible. And obviously he keeps coming back the next year. The fourteenth point is to get others to talk you up. He's got everyone talking about him, so he never has to talk himself up. And it's a great way And using testimonials that uh, other people say how good you are, not you all the time saying how good you are. And the last point is to build a business to give you free time. As I've already mentioned, his elves and doubles enable him to really work only a couple of days. Even the list checking is outsourced to India, so he can relax with Mrs. Claus most of the year. Do you find yourself overworking, or have you got your time management in balance? We've got time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one we we forgot to do yesterday, last week. So, three tips for saying yes to no. Saying no is difficult for almost anyone. For some, it's nearly impossible. But sometimes it's it's crucial to your success. If you find yourself saying yes too often, use these three tips to prepare to say no. First of all, set intentions. Often we don't say no because we're not sure what we're working toward. Take the time to write down what you want to achieve and what will help you get there. Secondly, prioritise commitments. Make a list of your current commitments and prioritise them. Commitments that are low on the list should be no items. And finally, make no your default answer. Assume that you will say no to any new request that comes in, unless they meet a short set of criteria. Will the project help you grow professionally or personally? Does it fit into your intentions for the year? And if you read the story of Dick Smith, you'll find that it was one of the things he did in the early days. Was always, In fact, he had a sign in his office that said no when anyone came in, and he would only listen to people who had the answers to their questions anyway. And how about this one here? Three steps for asking for help without looking stupid. Too often managers make mistakes because they are afraid to ask for help. Not knowing how to do something may be embarrassing, but not asking for help can lead to disastrous results. Next time you are faced with something you are uncertain about, use these three steps to ask your colleagues, managers or peer for assistance. First of all, start with what you know. Begin your request for help with context and background about the situation so that the other person knows what you do already know. Secondly, ask for feedback on a proposed direction. Just because you are uncertain doesn't mean you can't form an opinion. Explain what you are thinking of doing and ask for input and direction. And then, finally, ask for tangible advice. If you are still unsure about what direction to take, be direct with the other person, ask for the tools you need to make a decision or or for a referral to someone who has been in a similar situation. So some little useful little tips there for helping us to do things when we don't always know how to. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've uh, looked at the importance of communication in recruitment and some of those business tips from Santa. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat, chat about innovation and particularly the innovation conference that Christine has been to and we'll have some more legal and business news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for the business, the law, and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And remember, success isn't just about what you accomplish in your life, it's about what you inspire others to do. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health,